Welcome to episode 203 of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast, coming to you after a little bit of a hiatus. I think everyone's back in their respective hometowns. I am Paul Spohr, joined on Thursday by Eno Saris. Eno, how are you? I've been better. How was your trip? Did it finish up well? I know you were in a flea bag and some idiot lost your charger, so I know there was, <laughs> I know there was trouble there. Yeah, that idiot who lost the charger is me, too, because I lost my other one. <laughs> said idiot, or the first idiot I was referencing, swears he didn't lose the charger, but the fact that it's gone begs to differ with that. Because I, The whole time, honestly, as, as labor's winding down, I'm going, don't take this because it's not yours, but make sure he gets it because obviously someone on vacation, you know, they need their charger. And so I'm thinking in my head, thinking in my head, and then I swear I brought it over, but Whatever happened, I, I, I accept at least partial responsibility, if not full, and I apologize for that. That's all good. I, I found a place that sold me a charger for 20 bucks cash. <laughs> weird. That was Cash weird. only. Cash only. That was a very strange moment. Uh, but, you know, it, just in general, just getting sick um, on the second day while I was out there took me out of a lot of it. And then having labor take us away from the house – um, you know, on the night where all the other Frank rappers were eating uh, dinner together, um, it was it was a little bit weird for me. And then yeah. you know, just trying to get to the ballpark for like seven thirty, you know, open open clubhouse um, after you know going to get bed late because people were loud in the house and stuff. I mean, it, it, there was certain particular things that I would do, uh, do differently and that I wish had gone differently. But, you know, the last couple of days, I managed to get into, you know, four clubhouses in two days. Nice. Um, which is a nice thing that spring training does for you. And then uh, saw my mom and, you know, got out into uh, nature a little bit. And um, I'm feeling a little bit better. But I'm just really tired of being sick. And I want my children to s- stop bringing home sickness. <laughs> well, that was the worst part. Yeah, you mentioned you got sick quickly and you're like – my kids just keep getting it, getting sick, passing it to me, and it's just kind of this endless cycle. And I was like, man, that that is rough because obviously we were having a great time out there. And then when I found out the times that you and David Lorla and uh, anyone else, I think Dan Farnsworth went, August Fagerstrom, when you guys wanted to go in those clubhouses, you had to get up so early. And mm-hmm. one of the best parts of this trip, at least for me, was kind of the fact that you could stay up talking baseball till two, three in the morning with guys if you wanted to, and that, that's a lot of fun. But obviously, if you got a seven thirty uh, call time at the clubhouse, then you got to be up at least at six thirty, if not a little earlier than that. So that's tough. Glad you're home. Hopefully, you start feeling better. Before we dive in, it's gonna be our first base preview. Let's talk a little bit about your your labor team because obviously, if, if folks haven't read it yet, obviously I'll post to your uh, rundown. But you've already been dealt a crushing blow. And in a single league like this, it's really tough. But talk to us about your strategy and how you felt your team came out. Well, you know, I've really, until the very end of the draft, I really love this team. I mean, I got Nick Castellanos, um, Chase Headley, and Ruffnet Odor. Rujnet, Rujnet, I just, I give up. Odor. <laughs> I got Odor. And uh, I, I just, I, I really like those picks um, for 
not necessarily breakout potential, especially since Chase Headley's older, but just being better than they've been in the past going forward. So I think they can even beat their projections because I think the Headley projections don't give him enough credit for the new ballpark and the fact that he's changed his approach in the past to fit his ballpark. So I think he may show a little bit more power than the 16 homers Steamer projections into. Odor, you know, pitchers were afraid of him in the, in the second half last year, and I think that um, – points to more than 13 homers, plus the projections in Steamer for 545 plate appearances, I think, are a little bit light because at this point he's the starting second baseman. Mm-hmm. And uh, for Nick Castellanos, it's a little bit uh, trickier because, you know, it's a scout thing, really. The scouts have said he's had a hit tool, a plus hit tool all this time. And if you look at his minor league stats, he hadn't had great batting averages. He hadn't had great... Um, uh, strikeout rates. So you kind of you're like, well, what's the, where's the hit tool? But they've they've insisted he has this plus hit tool. He's a young guy. Um, he's had plus line drive rates and uh, plus BABIPs. And I kind of think that a lot of those things could come together with emerging power, considering his age. And I think you know may, it may not be this year, but uh, you know I hope to play pay for the floor and pay for a 260 average with 15 homers and hope for the breakout that I think will come either this year or next year. Uh, I'm right yeah. there with you on Castellanos. In fact, I, I wrote about him recently uh, on Fangraphs, you know, tr- trying to find actual sleepers, guys who are going, you know, in the 250 or later kind of pick. He's picked 307 on average, and, and I put Castellanos in there because I agree with you, you know, the hit tool. And I think I mentioned in there, you know, the numbers aren't going to say a whole bunch like this is an auto breakout, but when you watch him, combined with the line drive rate, there's a lot to like there. And the fact that he held his own for a full season as a rookie, he wasn't great. You know, he's, he's a couple ticks below average uh, with a 94 WRC plus. But for a full season, for a 22-year-old, that, that's pretty good. I mean, I know it doesn't do us a ton of good in the fantasy realm, but I, I, I like that. And like you said, you're, you're betting on let me get 260 and 14 homers at the worst and maybe get upwards of you know 18 homers, 75 ribbies, and maybe a 275, 280 average. In fact, I think the average upside is, is pretty substantial. I, I, re- I could definitely see him being somebody who hits 290. And even if he got that with 14 homers, and 70 ribbies that would work because I really think one of the things I like about him a lot and I mentioned this in the piece was that he has a strong chance that if he comes out of the gate hitting well and and looking uh, like the guy a lot of people expect him to be he can move up into that two hole right now roster resource has Anthony Ghost there Uh, there's no reason that that Ghost would have a stranglehold on that at all so I really think that Castellanos is a prime candidate to move up in the lineup which of course greatly increases your fantasy value. Right, and it's kind of interesting that you know the projections geek or the the, the fan graphs guy in the room ended up with two guys that that projections don't really like. <laughs> I got Nick Castellanos and I got Abisail Garcia, and we got they're both 23 years old. They're both projected for middling numbers, 260 batting average, you know, 15 homers ish. Um, Gar- Garcia has a little more speed, but. You know, in both cases, there's just there are reasons to like them. I mean, both cases, scouts love them, first of all. And in both mm-hmm. cases, um, you know, they're, they're I think their floor is decently high. I think both of their teams need them to play. And you know, they're in terms of uh, health, they should. They're not. Neither of them has had. I mean, Garcia's had some health issues, but neither of them you would put the injury prone label on. And you know, the younger you are, the more likely you are to be healthy. So. You know, in terms of playing time, they should be out there and give me bulk playing time at least. And then they both, I think, 
could really outproduce their projections. So, and then I then I got guys that I thought were under uh, undervalued by the market, but um, projections liked. So that's what why I got Alejandro Daza, Michael Bourne, Dustin Ackley. Those guys were just an Astruel Cabrera. I just thought those guys, you know, are going to play. They're going to be okay, and they're going to be because of their positions and you know what I needed to get. Uh, out of them, I think they'll do exactly what I need to do. So, in terms of my offense, you know, I, I looked at projections, and the projections have my batting average fifth, my home runs second, uh, really powerful lineup, uh, my stolen bases seventh, um, and um, you know, projections only have Bourne stealing twenty um, and Evers Cabrera uh, stealing twelve. Oh, that. So- He's definitely good. I, I I loved both of your Orioles picks, and we talked a lot about guys that you know you were looking at. Just kind of you were throwing names out there and batting it around with Jeff Zimmerman and myself. And I was telling you how much I liked both of those Orioles, Diaz and Cabrera. I was happy to see you get both because I thought at least one of them would be a, a a coup for you. And you got both for sixteen. So the offense is strong. But let's shift over to the mound where you've already been dealt just a huge blow, which really really sucks. You know, coming out of the draft, I, I, I was in love with my pitching staff. I mean, Stroman, Shoemaker, Hutchinson, Bauer, Green. This is, it's kind of, someone said, practicing what you preach. I mean, these are the guys we've been talking about um, on this cast, and these are the guys that we like for different reasons. Hutchinson, you know, changed his uh, grip on his slider or changed his, his, his slider a little bit, and I think that is going to make a major difference for this home run problems. Um, we know that Shoemaker we like because even an average splitter is a good splitter. And, you know, I think he's going to keep his command gains that really made him play up in the major leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, th- I like that Bauer has a plus slider, a plus curve, plus velocity, and is trying to figure out that changeup. I think that had a lot to do with what the homers that we saw, you know, you know, he's, he's the kind of guy that'll be working on the changeup during this, during the spring. And then, you know, if it's not working so well, you know, throw it a lot less during the regular season. And I think he can he can do the, the sort of Richards thing where he's got uh, two breaking balls. Shane Green we've talked about. I think that the changeup has really good shape. And someone asked me on my on my chat about Di Scalfani, and it, it applies to Green. You know, when I talk about a guy like Green or a guy like Di Scalfani, and I, and I say their changeup, you know, can be good or is maybe already good, um, you know, people say, well, they only threw 30 or 40 or 60 or whatever, and that doesn't seem like a lot. Well, in those cases, I'm not talking about the whiff rate. You know, I, I try to stay away from the whiff rate on, on 50 to 60 pitches because that's just not a lot of pitches. Uh, I'd, let, I'd rather get 100, 150. That mirrors what it takes. For example, you, you need for overall swinging strike rate, you need 150 plate appearances for, for that to stabilize. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm talking about a per pitch thing, I feel more comfortable at 100, 150 pitches. Okay. Uh, but when it comes to shape of the pitch... I think that's a scouting well, many, thing. Yeah, it's and how many do you need? I mean, shape of the pitch, you're asking how good is pitch FX at recording the shape of the pitch and how often do you know what the ship the pitch actually looks like? And I think that number is way smaller than uh than 100 150. I think that number is smaller than 50. I think you could almost know within 10 to, to 20 pitches what a pitch looks like. If uh, yeah, if they're consistently throwing it absolutely. So, you know, in terms of Discofani, the shape is really good. I mean, Discofani's changeup has better shape than Green's, but Green's shape has a has above average drop, above average fade. He doesn't quite have the gap that Discofani has. Discofani has a 10 mile an hour gap, 
But um, Green does have an eight-mile-an-hour gap, and he has plus velocity, which Discofani doesn't have. So I think that uh, Green is going to be one of these weird pitchers, cutter, slider, change. You know, uh, Brandon McCarthy loves Green, and he said, you know, he was throwing the four-seamer more with the, with the Yankees at the end of the season. So that makes him four-seam, two-seam, slider, cutter, change. And he also said, Brandon McCarthy said that, Green picked up the change, you know, mid-season really, and, and really made it better. So, uh, any case, I, I love that. And then Stroman hurts me, but I get twenty dollars back. And right now, I guess all I'm doing is rooting, rooting, rooting for a Cole Hamels trade. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got some flexibility to go out and get that because another underrated bummer is that your uh, second reserve pick, Gavin Floyd, is also down. And even though I still loved TJ House long term, I thought Gavin Floyd would be a decent couple month guy because I thought, you know, while he's while he's pitching, I thought he'd be good. You know, so even if you you got him through like Memorial Day, okay, well, he didn't even make it through spring training. So that's really unfortunate for him. (laughs) So you're left with Ivan Nova and Henry Owens as your backups. Nova's not gonna be back for a while. Owens a long shot to break camp. So you'll have to troll the wire. But obviously, you're in season management. Uh, I, I, I trust it to to kind of cover that. That's a tough loss. It can be overcome, though. It really can, especially <laughs> if some of these breakouts hit that you're looking at. And and Shoemaker, Hutchison, Bauer, Green, Gibson all have another level or two that they can reach. They won't all do it, but the fact that it's all, it, it's in there. You didn't get any of those guys that are just kind of there, steady. They are what they are. You know, no, no one's getting a breakout, quote unquote, from Jared Weaver. You know, they're probably. Yeah, I, mean, I, I drafted a roster. I, I, I started to notice this during the, the thing. This is a, a buster boom kind of roster. Absolutely. But, but, but who cares if you finish fourth uh, or eighth? It's first or don't worry about it. You know, get them next year. <laughs> yeah. And, th- and this roster could do even, that. I think even with this, before I needed, you know, Shoemaker to just be decent again, and then I needed. Um, like two of the next four or five guys to, to really break out. Now I need three or four of the guys to break out. I need I need more most of my uh, pitching guys to break out. So uh, I mean it'll be epic. It'll be epic if I win. It'll be epic. People it will be I so think, cool. You know it'll be pretty amazing because I will have hit on four out of my five pitchers. You know I will yeah, absolutely. On, you know and and it'll only be. You know, somebody drop it, and then I'll even have to hit on like a a, um, a pitcher off the wire. So a wire find, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it'll it'll be so amazing, and I still have enough of that spring training giddiness where I'm like, you know what, my offense, I like it. It's steady. It's steady with a lot of upside on it. You know, because I didn't take the same chances necessarily as I did with the pitching staff um, on the on the offensive side. You know, that my offense is aged about. Uh, 27 and a half where my pitching is about 26 and I think that gives you an idea of like sort of where I went like my offense I've got the Headley types I've got Jose Abreu I've got some old catchers I've got guys in place that and and even the guys that I picked you know that were younger they they have roles in place for the most yeah, part. Yeah, they ha- they have some floor capability. Uh, as we talked about with Castellanos, Odor, you know, with Profar down he's, he's going to get some chance to struggle. Even, you know, if, if he does struggle, he's going to get some chance to kind of come out of it. So it's that's going to work. Brad Miller last year where I should have thought, you know, there's Chris Taylor, there's, there's other options on that team. And, and, uh, so I, I hope that things work out, uh, for me. Maybe, maybe the Stroman going down will be, will be sort of a, you know, you know, like when a bird poops on you, 
Yeah. It's like, it, it'll be my good luck charm. Okay. We'll, we'll go with it like that because I'm actually in a draft and hold uh, 50 rounder for NFBC and Stroman was my ace. So obviously <laughs> more flexibility than you have in an AL only because uh, I'm in the midst of, of the draft still, but th- we both got Delta hit there, unfortunately. So uh, hopefully Stroman feels better and we'll, we'll keep updating your team throughout the season just to kind of see how it's going for you. Um, but you mentioned Jose Abreu. That is your big power piece, your, your, your big giant piece at 37 bucks. Uh, let's talk about first base as a whole, and we'll start with some strategy talk now. There, there are th- for me, it's like kind of three different strategies. You can go big early, and there's five or six guys that are consistently being drafted in the first round, depending on if it's 12 team or 15 team. Uh, or do you wait for the mid tier, which is kind of your Adrian Gonzalez, Albert Pujols, you know, those kind of steady guys who they're not really special, but you're going to get 25 and 90 with a decent average kind of type from them. Or do you super punt because it's the deepest position? So let's start with the go big early. What do you like or and not like about that strategy? And we're talking about Cabrera, Goldschmidt, Abreu, uh, Encarnacion, and then Rizzo in some instances is there. I know he's been getting some some late love in the back end of the first round, especially if it's a 15-teamer. So let's talk about those five. If you go with one of them, how does that change your draft? Uh, or do you just say, you know what, these are studs. I'll take them. I know it's a deep position, but who cares? How do you feel about the go big early? I think the days of sort of A-Rod, Nomar, you know, the, the where you where there were really nice shortstop bats at the top of at the top of the draft i think those days are are gone Mm -hmm. and you know tulo is there but he's got that obvious flaw that you can't project him into a lot of plate appearances because of his his injury history so you know and then you have altuve who's really nice but if he takes any step back in stolen bases and batting average you know he's got no power you know he's not quite a top of the first round guy so you know when you're talking about the top of the first round yes there are some really good first basemen later on, but the elite bats are mostly first base. I mean, it's not even it's not even really debatable. There are only I just did ran the auction calculator, and there are only three, six, eight, ten thirty dollar players, and of those ten thirty dollar players, five are first basemen. Oh my gosh! So that's crazy. So, and it it makes sense when you think about baseball. Absolutely, you know? that's where you put your slugger. So. Um, you know, I think if you can get one of those top five, one of those $30 first basemen, I think you have to do it. I mean, even Rizzo at the end of the first round, I'm, I, I, I include him. He's, he's a $30 guy in, in this run of the auction calculator. Abreu, Cabrera, Goldschmidt, Encarnacion, Rizzo, I'm on board. I want, I want any of those guys. I want them. After that, though, I think it gets a little bit tricky because I don't personally dream Freddie Freeman into a lot more power than he's shown. Kiddo. And the RBI, you know, I think it's up in the – that could be one of the worst offenses we've seen in a long time. And he only had 78 last year when Jason Hayward and Justin Upton were there. And I, I know that they, they still weren't a great offense overall, but that, that's the whole point is that they weren't a great offense and they had those two studs there uh, already and he only drove in 78. So what in the heck is he going to do this year? Yeah, so I think there would be these little – runs in RBI will be – a secret way that we're stealing from his value. Um, you know, so then, and I don't think, I think his power ceiling, I mean, you know, he may have a season where he hits 30, but I don't, I don't think that it's going to be a perennial thing. And then Adrian Gonzalez is older. You never know when the Nixon cuts come. Same with Albert Pujols. 
Uh, Prince Fielder was injured last year, and that's the number one thing for projecting future injury. And you could say the same about Victor Martinez. And then, you know, when you're getting down to Eric Hosmer, you're waiting for a breakout. Now, yeah. each of these guys, each of these guys, and then Chris Davis, um, who in this run, because it's not an OPP league, um, Chris Davis was below Justin Morneau, which is sort of amazing. But, you know, I, I, can, I could be convinced into any of these guys, um, you know, and Joey Votto below that and Brandon Bell. I, can, I could go right now and just tell you a reason to draft one of these guys, but you just have to wait, you know, because there's no reason to jump in the third or fourth round and take Freddie Freeman, I don't think. I think I would personally wait on Adrian Gonzalez for many of the same reasons because Albert Pujols is probably still out there. Prince Fielder is probably still out there. So, you know, I think there's a big, big tier there. You know, maybe you cut it off before Eric Hosmer and you put Freddie through Victor Martinez in one tier. I don't know if you put Davis in there and Votto in there, um, but that's a pretty big tier if you ask me. And as deep as the position is, you don't have you, – you can still get into the front end there, the, those five that you're talking about, and still leverage the depth because then you can put your corner infielder uh, as a first baseman and even your util um, because that's how deep it is because there are so many names at the, at the bottom there that really st- are, carry intrigue and they're just – they're going to be available. Um, speaking of your corner infielder, do you definitely want your corner infielder from first? And I know there's no hard and fast rules and if the, if the draft broke, and Manny Machado randomly dropped to you, you take him. But by and large, if you're setting up a plan, do you ideally want your corner infielder from first base? Well, I'm trying to check real quick. Um, Actually, you know, in in tout, um, my corner infielder is a third baseman. So is mine, by the way, um, which is funny that I put that question on there, even though neither of us did it. Well, the thing was that what I did was made my – I waited long on my first baseman in that league. Um, I didn't, and nobody <laughs> – I didn't at all, and people were not pleased. That's right. Yeah, you went Votto early, but it was an on-base percentage league. Exactly. Um, and that was a, that was, that's a big deal. He could lead the league in on-base percentage. Um, and, uh, and actually, uh, both of our picks – nobody really uh, batted an eye at mine, but both of our picks were based on the fact that this is an on-base percentage league because Lucas Duda, in my running of the calculator, was a top 30 bat. Oh, Wow. Because he he's a decent on base percentage guy. He, yeah, he gets a huge boost because he can he can take walks, and then all of a sudden you're not dealing with that batting average, which you know in today's context doesn't hurt as much, but it's still not very good. But you throw in OBP, and he's a big walk machine, so I'm not surprised that he he jumps way up there. Yeah, I had him I had him on my board for so long. I had him on my board when I took Evan Gaddis in the sixth round. Oh wow. And I took Lucas Duda in the twelfth round because I was like, "Look, guys, if you're just gonna, you know, if you're just Leave gonna talk me with Lucas Duda, uh, I'm gonna take him." So what happened was, since I waited so long on uh, my corner infield in general, what I wanted was some flexibility, you know, because I took Chase Headley. I actually went on a corner infield run. Chase Headley in the eleventh, Lucas Duda in the twelfth, and Nick Castellanos in the in the thirteenth. And the reason I I did it like that was because. I saw value, first of all. But then also, Chase Headley's an older guy and yep. some injuries. So what I used, what I did was use my corner infield slot as my backup third baseman and then took my uh, Logan Morrison way late um, as a util that could, you know, if things broke, if Chase Headley got hurt or whatever, I could move Morrison into corner infield, Castellanos into third, and take whatever bat, you know, I had available to me to, to put into util. So Perfect. Um 
I, you know, there's every draft is a little bit different. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily be prescriptive, but I would say that you're right in general. You can always leverage the depth of the position and find your Lucas Duda uh, for corner infield or for util later. And you're going to, you're going to be drafting two to three third ba- first baseman. I've drafted three and I can only roster, uh, you know, with my normal starting lineup, two of them. I mean, Morrison is maybe my util, but I was a little bit light on speed, so it's probably Daza. So you know, I you know, I don't even know if I'm starting one of these first basemen, but they're 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 good bats, and there's a reason to pick so many of them. I and mean, it has the the most number of above replacement bats in in fantasy baseball. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just not surprised that there's so much depth there. And um, it, for me, it was just Manny Machado was still there, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do it. Plus, part of it was – I don't even want to say mistake because it was a mistake. I still would have wanted to take him. But when I looked on the RT Sports, which, by the way, we had trouble with the room, unfortunately, uh, just a lot of issues. Um, but Zimmerman was slotted into outfield. So I was showing third base open, and um, it was before the scroll. So you know, I, could, I would have had to scroll down to see that Zimmerman was there, and I guess I was like, oh, I guess I don't have a third baseman. I'll take Machado. But I have no problems with it at all. Um, I still got Maurer, so I still dipped back into the first base pool again, OBP league. But Maurer leads into an interesting question about the position as a whole. Do you feel like you need major power? And for this, I'm gonna I'm gonna say 25 plus homers. Do you need major power from first, or ca- can you survive by by maybe p- powering up elsewhere and taking some of these guys who you know are in the more not necessarily Maurer because that's way at the bottom. He's a corner infielder anyway. Not he shouldn't be a starting first baseman, but like uh, a Hosmer who's only really a high teens kind of guy Matt Adams we haven't really seen the overwhelming pop from so how do you feel about that do you need the major power or are you okay if if Hosmer's your first baseman but you're stacked everywhere else are you cool with that well you know the, the top five guys are big power guys they you know in terms of z scores or whatever dollars that you get from homers um they're six to eight dollar guys in in uh, you know when you're adding it all up um, and, and that, that's what they get from the homers. And, and you're right. Uh, Hosmer, Victor Martinez, uh, Billy Butler, Joe Maurer, they're at zero or below, uh, when it comes to, uh, dollars you get from their homers. So th- that means that you're missing $5 that you normally get $5 of Homer value. So let's, let's just do a quick, I'm doing the MI and I'm going to sort by, um, by dollars per Homer, uh, it's pretty tough, dude. It's pretty tough to, to get it back in the MI. So yeah. uh, there's only Troy Tulowitzki and Javier Baez um, offering m- more than $4 um, of value uh, from homers. So you're really going to have to do it in the outfield. So you're going to have to basically get a really powerful outfield. Uh, then the problem is, you know, if you've got a really powerful outfield, and that means that you're picking – Springer, Trumbo, Trout, Bautista, Stanton. Yeah, that's kind of hard to do later in a draft. You know, Absolutely. so if you if you've picked Hosmer or whatever, you you know it's kind of hard to then go pick Stanton. You know, <laughs> so yeah, no, you, you you can't you can't necessarily make you are. You would already have to have that plan in place. Bautista late in the first round, come back with Springer, uh, get Trumbo maybe three rounds later, something like that. And you'd probably even have to supplement with later guys like Arcia, $3 from power, Ozuna, uh, $3 from power, uh, J.D. Martinez. Those kind of guys, you'd have to, you have to, you'd really have to stack the lineup. And then you'd have to be all about, you'd have to really be all about speed. I mean, it's all possible. You sure. Know? 
and and speed in the middle infield there is. There's D Gordon, Altuve, Andrews. There's there's definitely uh, a decent amount of speed there. So um, you know it, it can be done. And uh, and there's a lot of people out there that are sort of uh, fascist about value and would say just get the best value. But you, I like to build balanced teams because I don't think that there's a lot of trading, especially in in the, the higher the stakes, the the lower the, the amount of trading, especially in redraft leagues and, and, and shallow leagues like in labor. How am I supposed to trade with you if I've got no surplus anywhere? Exactly, especially when you lost an ace. It's not like you even have that to leverage. Um, yeah, yeah. At some point I was thinking out of the draft. I was thinking I'm going to trade a pitcher maybe because I've got Gavin Floyd, so I can maybe trade a pitcher and then Stroman. And then five minutes later, you lose Gavin both, Floyd went down. You, you lose the replacement and the ace. That's <laughs> tough. Uh, so yeah, no, I agree with you on the power. I, I think you do need to get uh, some some nice power base from first from first base, and if not both first base and the corner. So uh, give me a guy who you think could jump into the mid twenties. We'll, we'll say 23 plus. It doesn't have to be exactly 25, but somewhere in that 23 to 27 range, uh, who can jump into that power sphere for the first time. Uh, Brandon Belt. Ah, I, I'm I'm not surprised you took him. We have discussed him at length. That one is a good fit. I I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that either. Are you expecting just somewhere in that 23, 27 range, or do you feel like 30 plus is 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 not just possible, because possible is one thing. A lot of stuff is possible. Do you think it's, uh, you know, legitimately possible, let's say, a 30% chance? I mean, that would be a pretty high chance for somebody to hit 30 homers who's never done it before. How high can Belt really go in your estimation? Uh, well, he's 26, so I don't think it's too old for his athleticism to pair with his knowledge of the game and really, um, you know, launch himself into a nice uh, power stratosphere, sort of into a new power uh, level. I know that people around the game and around the Giants uh, have this hope for him now that he's made a couple changes to his swing and and has shown more sort of mental agility than he showed when he first came up. So I think there's a lot of people who think that, you know, as Belt goes this year, so go the Giants. Um, And so... You know, I, I I would give it a uh, over thirty. I would give it only a five percent chance. Okay. But um, in that, he's projected for twenty. So I think giving him twenty five to twenty seven, um, and giving that sort of a maybe thirty to forty percent chance, um, is is pretty generous. Yeah, I, de- I definitely like it. But Belt's a guy that I- I'm really interested in. Uh, I hope to have him as the corner infielder for a lot of teams, ideally with one of those studs that we've been talking about uh, at my first base position. For me, I'm going to take Matt Adams. I actually do- I don't love Matt Adams, but I do think he has the power that, that, that could push up into that level. Ideally, it would come with figuring out lefties a little bit because maybe volume is the one thing that's just gonna gonna hurt him. He might have to kind of go Lucas Duda and do it all against righties and just kind of have that uprising. Uh, but that so that's the part that worries me. So I, I definitely like the belt selection better. But there there aren't a lot of guys who've never done it. You know, we, we could, if we had loosened it to say guys who kind of get back into that realm, then you start opening it up to you know the Mike Napoli's of 
of the world, even a Joe Maurer. I mean, he has done it before. We, we don't think he's going to do it, but there just would have been more names, Justin Morneau. But if we're doing it for a guy who's never done it, I, I do think Adams can push into that level. I do worry about his inability to hit lefties, though. Uh, it's just going to put a ceiling on his plate appearances, so the volume might catch up. If we were doing per 600 plate appearances, he might be a shoe-in, but we're doing actual raw value here. So I'm going to rate Bell above Adams, but I think Adams could jump up there. And for what it's worth, I would say that I don't, I don't rate any of these guys as, as, as likely to do this as I thought Anthony Rizzo was to do this last year. So because last year I saw Anthony Rizzo and I said, if you look at his platoon splits uh, for Anthony Rizzo, he does he does a decent job in terms of striking out and walking. And he just had a really bad Babbitt against lefties. So, you know, and they weren't platooning him yet, which is also a really important thing to do is look at what the team is doing. So the team wasn't platooning him in terms of strikeouts and walks and even isolated, uh, isolated power. It wasn't as good as what he did against righties, but it wasn't someone that says you have to platoon this guy. Um, so with, with Rizzo, I was fairly sure he was going to figure out his lefty platoon splits. And given his power history and his contact rate, and everything and the way he's building, I was I basically said he was gonna hit two eighty with thirty home runs this year this year, this last year, and he did. That's I don't awesome. really feel the same way about Adams. I mean, um and, and in Belt, you're kind of dreaming on the fact that he's been all sorts of different players and you're kind of you're kind of saying, Okay, one year he's gonna put those different players together and, and, and really be a diverse, like be diverse at the plate, you know, be mm-hmm. agile at the plate and be able to take the ball the other way. Also be able to pull the ball out. And, you know, so, um, I, I don't really, I'm not, I'm not as sure. I don't know if they're going to show up in my bold predictions, what I'm saying. I mean, if you look yeah. at what Adams does against lefties versus what he answers against, against righties, his strikeout rate jumps 10%. I mean, he's a 20, he strikes out 28% of the time against lefties and he struck out 18% of the time against righties. He's atrocious. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I said, that's. I mean, they brought Mark Reynolds in, and that's probably going to be Mark Reynolds' job is to just come in and hit lefties. So that's why that one has. And I'm with you, and that's a good judge of of how much you're really saying it. Can it show up in my bold predictions column? Belt could Rizzo no, or I'm not Rizzo. Uh, Adams no chance. Good call on Rizzo, by the way, because. Um, we're going to talk about some uh, actual players now. We'll move away from the strategy, talk specific players here. One of the questions I was going to have was Rizzo's sharp improvements against lefties and if you thought they hold. So you've kind of answered that already. We discussed Freeman with the with the terrible lineup and the and the RBIs. It could really be treacherous there. If you play in a league, maybe that doesn't count runs and RBIs. Maybe that's one of those leagues that really just does like average OBP and slugging. I know there's some out there that kind of get away from the ca- counting categories and really dive into the rates. He he jumps back up. But if, you, if you're counting those RBIs and runs, you need to account for the fact that Freeman is in a garbage lineup. Um, I didn't ask you, this might have been answered by, the, by who you took in labor, but who is your favorite among the, the best there uh, in those guys who are often going in like the top six or seven picks. Miggy, Goldie, or a Brayu we We'll just call him a Brayu. That, that probably works better. Uh, which of those three do you like best? I don't think that my labor uh, pick um, answers that question because I, honestly, would I, you know, if, if you gave me those $2 back, if I had known when I took, if I had known when the Miguel Cabrera auction was going on, that that you'd I have to pay more for a Brayu? Yes. Then I then I might have jumped in on on 
Miguel Cabrera, especially at 35. So, um, you know, I, what I'm saying is I think that, you know, the $2 difference is, is too much. I think that basically Abreu and Cabrera are, are tied because Abreu has uh, showed more power last year and is younger and healthier, but Miguel Cabrera is Miguel Cabrera, and you know if if he does figure out those legs, then he's going to be the number one player again. So, you know, I'm not a, I'm not that worried. You know, when people talk about the the splits for Abreu that he only hit seven homers in the second half, well, you know, he only hit seven homers, but he hit like three thirty, yeah. and the those things are are totally linked. And actually, I like that. And what it tells me is. Uh, pitchers started pitching him differently, and he and started adjusted. hitting. Yeah, I, I yeah. completely agree. I, I've been hearing the same thing where that's used as a negative against him. And I'm like, okay, so maybe he doesn't have to do that change and, and go hit 313 again because of the big average. But if he doesn't do that, then I'm just going to guess that he's going to hit for more power then because he'll trade back those two months of hitting 370 or whatever he did, and, and there will be power there. I, I agree with you that the diversity he showed in his game and the ability to kind of adjust, it's really impressive. It was really yeah. impressive. Now, do you have Goldie above those two or below them? I'm below. And just one last thing about that adjustment. You, you know, you should – Check out my belt piece because I did a belt piece. It was grips, and he showed his grips on the bat and uh, the different adjustments he made. But the the thing that's different about belt than Abreu is that it takes him like weeks and months to make these adjustments. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, pitchers are killing him. So that's the difference between sort of a guy who might figure it out and has been pretty good in, in short stretches and stuff and the best hitters in the league. The best hitters in the league see what's happening and adjust immediately. Um, and you know, we'll do different things in different times, but you know, are always, you know, you know, top of the game. So, um, I, I think that's a big deal. Goldschmidt, I think, uh, has shown that ability to be like that because he has elite opposite field power. And just by changing his swing rates, um, and I think we've seen this in the past, changing his swing rates on certain pitches and just not swinging at certain pitches that, that pitchers want him to, to swing at, he's been uh, able to take advantage of that elite opposite field power. And um, so I believe in his power. I don't think that there was that much of an outage last year. And I think, you know, 30 to 35, he's going to be comfortably in that range. I don't know if he's going to steal a lot of bases, but, you know, a guy who can hit 35 homers and has opposite field power isn't going to have a terrible batting average. No, I, I love Goldschmidt. Um, I agree. I got Cabrera at the top of that uh, of that heap, but then the other two are very close. And then, like we said, we get the 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 other guys there, Encarnacion and Rizzo, also cl- uh, another step down, but very close as well. That they're, first they're round close is to each other. Yes, you know, you know, and I think they're they're really good, decent, um, you know, back end of the first round picks. Maybe other positions start sneaking in there. Maybe you start thinking about the best shortstop and the best third baseman around there. But I think I still take them above um, the best middle infielders, uh, the best third baseman, um, you know, maybe the best outfielder sneaking ahead of them, especially in like an OBP. You know, you could you could say Jose Bautista, maybe, mm-hmm. um, you know, ahead of those two, maybe. But I think if you put those five guys at the top of your draft board, just one, two, three, four, five, uh, you know, I guess, you know, we can't forget Trout. But Trout, sure. Trout's probably ahead of everybody. So you could go Trout, five first basemen, and then the other players. And I don't think I would necessarily complain. 
No, I, I completely agree. You don't have to get too cute at the back end there with Rizzo and Arcanarcion thinking, you know, oh, maybe I want to get the uh, the position scarcity. No, nah, just just take the stud. I, I agree with you there. Um, how much of a Prince Fielder bounce back are you seeing? Because in AL labor, and again, auctions are all different, so you can't just say that because he was full price here, he will be everywhere. But I was surprised. There was absolutely no discount for what he went through last year. He, he cost 30 bucks, even though he wasn't good when he played and then, of course, had the neck issue how much do you think he can bounce back can he be 30 bucks worth again uh, or i know he can but do you think he will be i guess is the operative question i mean i i don't i just want him at the discount because you know previous year injuries do predict future injuries and we're not sure how much the park is going to make a difference and we're not sure how healthy he's going to be and we know that heavier players age poorly when it comes to staying on the field. And we know that he has been healthy in the past, so maybe that doesn't apply. It's, you know, certainly Pablo Sandoval has been hurt more often. But, you know, Prince Fielder is older. You know, it, it, does the U Darvish thing, you know, send Texas into the same sort of season again? Oh, and I, 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 I know this, this isn't necessarily, like, numbersy. And, it, you know, it does sort of sound a little bit old schooly, but I do think that a player, you know, if they're on a team that where certain things start to go wrong, they're not necessarily itching to get back out there. You know, a veteran is not necessarily itching to get out there and lose. Absolutely. That, 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 that's 100% true, and I don't think we should dismiss it just because you can't go put together a bunch of numbers or, you know, someone can go find – uh, where a veteran had some good seasons on a crappy team. That doesn't mean it can't happen. But but anecdotally, I, th- I think that that definitely holds. Again, you know, just think about how you might feel in that situation. Would, would you be so eager to go out there and be like, oh, let's, let's, let's play again. Let's get our face caved in again by the Houston Astros. <laughs> well, even, you know, I was just talking to Joey Votto. I mean, this is a literal thing that, that just happened. I, I was talking to him about his, his legs last year. And how they didn't have him, and he 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 said to me, I didn't, I don't think I put it in. He said, you know, I could have gone out there and just been that guy all year. You know, I could have gone out there and been kind of slappy and tried to get on base and just you know grind, grinded it out, but it didn't make sense. You know, like it, it made more sense to get right and you know and and be better for the team in the future. And so Absolutely. I think that's literally a conversation that front offices have and that that players have with themselves. And so you know, it, you know, if if the U Darvish thing does take five wins off the ledger for the Rangers and they don't necessarily go get Cole Hamels or whatever, then you know it does. It, it, it's not a great start. And then what if Felice gets hurt? And it, you know, that's not a lot of wins. But then that's oh no, they're snake bit. And then you know they can't find a left fielder. And then Prince Fielder says, "Ah, oh, you know, now my back hurts, or you know, whatever." So um, it's just it's uh, it, it's something that I'm willing to buy into. It, it, it's it feel, it goes in that category where I said earlier, I can give you an argument for Eric Hosmer, I can give you an argument for Chris Davis, but I can give you an argument for all the guys in their tier. I can give you an argument for Albert Pujols. So why should I pay thirty dollars for any of them? Why should yeah. I pay five dollars for any of them? I should pay twenty dollars for the $23 guy that falls to me, you know, I, that, that doesn't cost 23, you know? So if I'm going to take that chance on fielder, 
I want something of a discount. It doesn't have to be some obscene discount. I don't expect to get them for 18 bucks. But the fact that he went 30, I was like, dang, that's that's a full rebuy right there. You, you you really need him to perform now, as opposed to you know if he's 23 bucks, if he doesn't come all the way back, you're like, okay, he was 23 bucks or 25 bucks. I got a little bit of a little bit of a discount there. You said you can make a case for anybody, including Hosmer. Now make the case that that we or or. Do you think we finally see the breakout from him? Because people have been calling for it for years. He's had some some mini mini flourishes. 2013, his his rookie season, 2011, but we haven't seen that full on stud breakout, which I think people expect. He can hit 280, 25 homers, runs and RBIs would depend on the team, but let's just say 80, 80, 85 each because I don't think they're going to be a stalwart on offense. So it would be more about the club than him. But 85 apiece, can that happen? How realistic is it at age 25? He's now got 2,388 plate appearances under his belt. The the time is now, I think, if it's going to happen. I'm suspect, though. Well, you know, I think what we saw in the postseason is not – very relevant. It was only 66 plate appearances. So I'm not talking about the outcomes, the slugging percentage, the isolated slugging. I'm not really talking about those. But, you know, he did strike out 24% of the time, which isn't great, but it does tell you that there is a chance that there's a guy in there that swings a little bit more, misses a little bit more, but hits for more power. And walked and, a ton. 14% walks d- during that same. You I mean, know, he looked uh, like a three true outcome guy almost. I exactly. Mean, he was very different in the in the postseason. Also, just you know, watching him, you can know you know why people draft him. You know why scouts like him. He's athletic. He's got. I wouldn't say that he's got the best swing in the world, but he has looseness in his swing, and he has ability to adjust. I saw him. Um, at a game that I went to with Dan Farnsworth, we were kind of talking about his swing, and you know, he was saying that it's not the greatest here and there. And then he was fooled on a pitch. He was out in front on a pitch, and he took it out uh, to right center. And so, you know, that's the kind of thing that you that you see from Hosmer that's frustrating and difficult to own at times. But when it's going well, it's amazing. And so he's going to be flying high. He's coming into his 26-year-old, 25-year-old season. This is, uh, even if you'd say power peaks early, this is power peak time. Um, it wasn't a great season last year, but he's had a season where he hit 17. So I think you're only asking for a little bit of a bounce back in the power department. And you know that even if he doesn't give you, you know, 10 stolen bases, he could give you a couple more than last year. Um, and, you know, I totally believe in his batting average, uh, the way that he's been you know, playing. So, you know, 280, 290 batting average. Uh, this is the floor I'm talking about. 280, 290 batting average, 15 homers, five stolen bases. I think that's your floor. That, if you add, if you move the five stolen bases over to, to homers, because they're almost equal in terms of just straight value. And I know we talked earlier about uh, wanting power from your first baseman, but if you just move those five stolen bases over, now you're talking about a 280 hitter with 20 homers. Well, uh, that's better than Lucas Duda. That's better than a lot of the guys down at the bottom, and it's pro- and it's younger than Albert Pujols, and exactly, um, you know. So there's a lot of and and healthier than Prince Fielder. So um, you know, if if you had if you gave me a shot at um, you know Hosmer, Morneau, Trumbo, Vado, Belt, all those guys, you say I I'm going to give you seventeen dollars. Who do you buy? I think it would be hot. Okay. Okay. 
You've got me at least somewhat sold. Uh, years ago, I was very much sold, and I was scooping up shares left and right. I'm not quite there yet, but I, I will guarantee that I grab at least one share based on your your sell here. I think you did a you did a <laughs> fine job telling me that I should I shouldn't give up fully. I should get at least one share because if that big season comes, he could still pay off. And I think you make a great point about the batting average piece because uh, I think some people might have heard that you said a 280 20 season would be better than Duda. They're they're yelling at their phone or their whatever uh, podcast listening device that they're using, saying, "Well, Duda hit 30 homers. That batting average difference, 50." points is so severe particularly in this era so he doesn't need to hit as many homers i had the auction calculator open and the difference in batting average in a 15 team five by five in terms of dollar value out of batting average is uh eight nine dollars jeez duda was a negative six guy and hosmer was a plus three guy and in terms of guys that were as plus in batting average that weren't elite you know out of the top uh 30 guys uh, the only guys that are really with there with him, Victor Martinez is, of course, the stud stud. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, Victor Martinez, Adrian Gonzalez, Freddie Freeman. But Freddie Freeman and Adrian Gonzalez can go for a lot more money. So if you're looking down by Hosmer, you know, there's Morneau. But Morneau has got the age thing. And then there's Votto. And then there's nobody else who's going to do that for you except for Maurer. And Maurer was really kind of a minus in almost every other category. So... Um, he can be a really good fit on certain teams that you know want to think about batting average. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of batting average, we're going to go on the low end first here. Who's your favorite high power, low average guy between Chris Carter and Lucas Duda? Well, I'm going to take Duda. Is it because of the cost difference? Because I think Carter was already gone when you drafted Duda, wasn't he? Um, yeah, well, that's an OBP league, so that's that's an interesting thing to talk about. But well, because um, I mean, they both get the boost from it, though. But Carter's isn't more so, is it? Well, here's the thing: Carter's a righty, and so I think his floor is way lower than Duda's because Duda's a lefty. He's going to play two thirds of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, Carter's ceiling might be higher because if he did figure some things out, he could hit 250 with 40 homers. And play almost every day because you know the Astros will play him every day, whereas the Mets have kind of seen Duda. Duda's older, and they have the the. Somebody asked me who's going to platoon with him. I think it's Kadir. I mean, yeah. You know, they have outfielders. They have some nice fourth, fifth outfielders that they can put in there. So um, I think there's there's the personnel on the Mets and the sort of place on the win curve. I think for the Mets is a little bit different. Um, so I think the Mets are trying to to make a, a wild card push this year. And I think that means fewer at bats for Duda against lefties. But that also means that you know he's he, his floor is higher. The team's gonna be better around him. Runs an RBI, and uh, or maybe I, I mean that's 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 sort of up in the air because the Astros are you know playing the American League and there's gonna be more runs in RBI there. But you know just I, I think I would say Duda's the floor pick, Carter's the ceiling pick. But Carter's pretty risky, man. That guy can barely play in the outfield. You know, there's so many more players around him. And if he's hitting 190 and showing bad defense in the outfield and he gets put to the DH and then they decide he's going to be a platoon DH, well, then that's a, that's a real tiny floor right there. Yeah, and uh, Carter went round seven. Duda went round 12. That's OBP League. At those prices, I'm taking Duda all day long because I just looked and I thought Chris Carter actually had a better OBP than I suspected. His, his 10% walk rate is perfectly fine. 
but only a 308 OBP, 320 the year before. He has he has a 350 in his past, but that's with a 15% walk rate, and that was only in a 260 plate appearance season with the A's back in 2012. So I think he's probably more at most of the 320 guy we saw in 2013, whereas Dude has been much better. Uh, he was at I think 350 last year, so and and the year before. So with, with that difference, I know like you said, there's 40 homer upside with Carter. I'll take my 27 homers because I think maybe uh, Duda will lose a couple of those this year from the 30. I'll take that with the much better OBP. I, I like and the safety. Much floor. Yeah, much higher floor. And then, like you said, with the righty versus lefty and the five-round discount, let alone the fact that I might take Duda if they were even closer, if they if they were a round apart or even same round, I might still take Duda. That's, I just I much prefer him. But let's flip it. Let's go favorite, low power, high average guy. And you got three options this time Joe Maurer, James Loney, and then Yonder Alonso. Um, he didn't hit for the average last year, but he's shown it in this game. I'm, I'm going to give it to him. I'm, I think he is at least kind of a 275 guy, even though he only hit 240 last year. He was at 281 the year before, and he's got 271 for his career. So I think it's safe to include him in there. Uh, plus, he is definitely on the low power side. He's got that part covered. He's never hit more than nine so who do you like there with the low power low power high average types well i I would assume that mauer and loney are closer together in in draft cost and and alonzo is is the guy that could maybe do what they do for five rounds less five dollars less whatever and even given that mauer's my guy and mauer's my guy because he's shown a little bit more power than any of them in the past he's i think a very good hitter I should let, let me let me flip the script quickly and include Billy Butler on there. I definitely should have included him. I forgot that, and I think Butler, Loney, and Maurer are all in the same uh, close enough class that they can be judged. You're right about Alonzo. If we're talking about cost, he's easy, easily the cheapest, but also hasn't done the most. Uh, does, does, he's done the least. So let's compare the other three instead: Butler, Maurer, and Loney. Sorry, they're all AL guys. Sorry, UNL only folks. But uh, if Butler's thrown into the mix, are you still taking Maurer? I that makes it a little bit harder, but I think so. And and here's my reason: the floor for all these guys is pretty low because they are doing something that's not normal for their position, mm-hmm. and they're on teams that have been known for the platoon, and they're on teams that have other options. Maybe maybe the Rays don't really have another option, but you know, if Loney was really bad, then I think they would find one. Especially so, if, especially if he lost his defense, because I know that. Part right. of his his, his uh, skill there is that he he picks it very well at first, so that that keeps his job even through slumps. Although he's been fantastic for them, so they ha- haven't really seen any huge slumps out of him in in Tampa Bay. Anyway, continue. But, but give me give me a decent uh, give me a, a similar floor for a lot of these guys. Um, you know, slightly risky, but they have their their reasons that they've got their major league jobs, and um, and uh, and then. Talk about upside, and then Maurer's got the best upside. I mean, Butler has, has a decent one, but I think his ceiling is affected by the team he's on. And that, you know, I had a conversation with with Melvin the other day, and I said, I said, uh, he said Marcus Simeon. Somebody said oh, Marcus Simeon's going to play every day. And he said, well, he's not going to play every day. And I and I thought that was like, oh my god, we just found out that Marcus Simeon is going to be in a platoon at short. I mean, what 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 does that mean? <laughs> but then I thought for a second more, and I just asked another question. I said, Bob, when you said that. Simeon's not playing every day. That just means he's an Oakland A, right? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's so funny and so true. It just and means he's like, part of Oakland. Yeah, Melvin was like, yeah, nobody here plays every day. So uh, I think that's, you know, they talked about Butler playing in the field even against, uh, against lefties, I think. Um, and, he, you know, that might give him near full-time at-bats between being in the field against lefties and DHing against righties. But, you know, there's going to be people with nicks and cuts that may be able to DH, and if they are probably going to be a, a better bat against righties um, in certain situations than Butler is, um, then I think that you're going to see some Butler sit some uh, against DH, against righties. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's going to affect Butler's plate appearance. You know, a 624 plate appearance projection might be heavy for, for a DH on the athletics. Um you know, of course, Maurer's uh, plate appearance projection is all about health, but I'm saying we're talking ceiling now. Absolutely. And, you know, ceiling for Maurer is 660 plate appearances with a great batting average and maybe even 10 to 12 homers, um, which I think will far outpace Billy Butler's value. So I know, you know, in terms of just straight up auction calculator, uh, Butler's three dollars ahead, but there's, uh, you know, there's also an, an unknown in terms of what the park factor is going to do to him. In sure. Particular. And uh, so. I take Maurer of the of the group that you assemble. I do too. I, I like Maurer this year. I'm actually I'm actually kind of heavily invested a little bit because uh, he's been going so cheaply that I'm just taking him as a corner or a utility here and there. Uh, that that 50 team or excuse me 50 round draft and hold I was telling you about earlier. I got him there as my as my corner, and I'm like. Okay, I'll do it. Uh, I do like Butler, though. I, I, I want to get him in there because I want to mention him as a plus. I'm, I'm excited for a bit of a rebound from him. Uh, but I still think Maurer, for the reasons you mentioned, is, is the guy there. Okay, uh, digging a little deeper, who's your favorite of these two platoon guys uh, who are just straight platoon? There's no chance, really, of them getting the other plate appearances. That's Adam Lind and Garrett Jones. They, they've they just shown that they can't hit lefties. I know we've heard some stuff that Adam Lind might actually get some chances. I don't think it'll take long for them to realize that he, he can't do it. So there's really no reason to try it. But which of those two do you like between Adam Lind and Garrett Jones, power, power lefties who can only hit right-handers? I'm going to take Adam Lind. Um, and, and I think it's, it's a playing time issue. I, I know that people are... are interested in Garrett Jones and I know that he has a skill set that is, is decent but I think people are just forgetting about Alex Rodriguez that's that's uh, true that that's the part that bums me out because I I do want to pick Jones because I do like him I love what he can do but I'm also on the A-Rod train so those things kind of run counter to each other I can't really can't can't get both there can't have your cake and eat it too on on that because um you know if you got Garrett Jones in at DH a-Rod could definitely become the full-timer um, if he continues to, to improve and show that he's ready to go. So I, th- I think you're right on that one. But I, I, I still got to give some love to Jones, though, because I think he could really do big damage per plate appearance. So if, it, if, it's, if it's like more, maybe he's better DFS play so that when Garrett Jones is yeah. in, we're using him because I think he's going to rake in that ballpark for the opportunities that he does get. So maybe that's the right way to play it because Lynn because- – is set against righties. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And, and there's 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 Rodriguez in there. Um, there's Carlos Beltran who's going to need some DH time. So DH and then Teixeira needs you know th- th- some some spells at DH. So DH doesn't seem like a great opportunity for Jones. So now you're talking about right field. You know, right now penciled in is Chris Young, but the problem is the handedness issue. 
Yeah. So he could be in a platoon with Chris Young, but then where does Carlos Beltran play? Well, he plays a DH. Well, where does Alex Rodriguez play? So, you know. And, and I, I, I'd say the only thing that helps him is that, you know, these are a bunch of old guys, but Garrett Jones is 34, so he's no right. rock to stay healthy himself. You know, I think that there will be, he'll be a good waiver wire target this year. I think that there'll be a, a moment when – so, like, for example, if Carlos Beltran goes down, then I like Garrett Jones. Absolutely. That, that's yeah. great. That's a great call. Yeah, it, it, if it clears of, up. One of the two of Carlos Beltran – one of the two of Carlos Beltran, maybe both of them will be hurt at some point this year. So Garrett Jones will be useful and relevant. But, you know, going into the season, they're probably not going to be hurt. So going into the season, get Lind, maybe reserve Garrett Jones, but keep an eye on the situation out there in New York. And, of course, DFS for those times that he does play at home against some meatball righty, I think it can crush. Okay, who's your favorite deep pick at first base? And we're talking two, pick 250 or later, and let's go with the uh, uh, first base eligible only, you know, not so guys like Pedro Alvarez and Chase Headley, they do qualify. Uh, they'll show up on like a fantasy pros first base uh, ADP list, but we're not talking about them because we're putting them at third. You don't want to put somebody with a better position at first base unless it's a short term thing that you're doing just for flexibility on that given day. So who do you like in that 250 range and beyond? I can give you mine first if you don't have one, but if, if you do have one, go ahead. Well, let me. Let me just talk about some players. And then okay, and go ahead. Talk about a few. So, you know, there's Justin Smoke. There's Steven Vogt. There's CJ Crone. This is a sort of group that I would collect as a, as a, as a sort of tier, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Singleton. Um, that's, that's a group I like. You could put Alan Craig in there if he gets traded, but I'm not ready to put him in there. So that, that's a group I like. Uh, you know, vote is going to be a catcher. So, you know, after a season, after a week in the season, so you can take him out. So, Smoke, Crone, and Singleton. Singleton, Singleton is not going to start the season. So, if that's important for you, then you got to take him off the list. So, Crone, Smoke. Well, Smoke is uh, a little bit more in line for full season at bats. Like if he, you know, he has a job there, whereas Crone. It has a job to begin the season, but we don't know if he, what kind of a job he has once people return. Exactly. I kind of I'm a little bit more excited. About, I know that Crone is a worse was well, a is a pretty terrible real life hitter in terms of <laughs> what he brings to the table. You know, so far, let's let's. Walks. I mean, he is 25. We haven't seen too much from him yet. So, but so far, yes. Well, I mean, you know, ceiling of Trumbo. Yeah. Uh, which, from a real life perspective, is is uh, not great. Limited. Uh, but, um, you know, so ceiling of Trumbo, uh, but in, in fantasy, uh, he, he's a guy that could, he wouldn't necessarily, he's not going to be like a 220 guy. I mean, in terms of Singleton, even he, he might be better than Singleton, you know, for fantasy, cause he's, he's going to probably hit for a better average. I'd say 240, 250. And, um, you know, Singleton has more power upside, but you know, like again, he doesn't have a job to start the season probably. And Crone does. So, and Crone could hit 18 to 20 homers. Uh, be useful. I I, I kind of like him. And, you know, Smoke has a, a new part going for him, but he's just got all of the of the the baggage. Absolutely, of, of being a, fa- a failed stud prospect. He was supposed to be who's he was supposed to be Mark Teixeira, wasn't he? Yeah, and I mean, I know that the play that that the that the the park is going to help him, 
and I know that the projections, you know, push him to almost 240-16, but, you know, 240-16, that's not, that sound, doesn't sound a lot better than what I just said for Crohn's. No, it's really, if that's what he's jumping up to, then maybe we all need to temper our expectations a little bit on, on, on Mr. Smoke. Yeah. I'm sticking in the AL East for mine. I love Mike Napoli this year. I'm really excited about what he can do. He's still going super cheap. Obviously, folks are really excited about that lineup, yet even with that excitement, nobody talks about him. They talk about all those young guys that, that they're intrigued by, uh, Mookie Betts, Sander Bogarts. Um, who else am I? Oh, Rusny Castillo, and then the two newcomers who aren't necessarily young, Han Ramirez, Pablo Sandoval, but they're brand new, flashy, big-time signings. So everyone's talking about those guys, and no one's talking about first baseman Mike Napoli. Now, he is old. He, he's pretty much, you know, I think he, I think he can earn that, that injury-prone tag at this point. He's going to go down for a spell, whether it's with some Knicks that kind of keep him out for f- three, four games at a time, four different times during the season, whatever the case. There's going to be a little bit of that. But when he plays, I think he's going to be better than we've seen. And I think a lot of it has to deal with something that is starting to get some run about that sleep apnea surgery that he had. Apparently, this guy never got good sleep. I mean, for years, was not getting the kind of excellent sleep that you would figure uh, an athlete would need, even though he's not the most chiseled guy out there. You saw the the photos of him running around with his shirt off after the World Series victory. Uh, (laughs) You still want as much rest and relaxation as you can get when you actually are sleeping. So I think that this could be a big key for him in terms of like energy and things like that. And maybe it trickles uh, downward into helping him stay healthy overall and so he can push above that 500 plate appearance mark but i only really need 550 plate appearances out of him to get 20 plus homers and the upside we've seen 30 before it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities even at age 33 for him to jump back up there i'm not betting on it i'm betting on like 22 but it doesn't take much to see him pop you know, six, seven, eight more um, if, if things work out really well for him. And at, at the price, I'm taking it all day. He's like the 258th guy off the board. This is another guy I really like putting into my lineup. Yeah, mine are probably a little bit deeper than yours. Just to, Yeah, I'd, yeah, definitely. You know, I'd take uh, nap over the guys I was talking about. But I was right there uh, at the 250 mark, whereas, whereas you dug deeper. So you helped the, the more deeply guys – my, my guys will still uh, my guy will still play in, in twelve team mixers and things like that. And for what it's worth, you know, I might take Napoli over some of the guys we've been talking about in terms of, um, you know, Joe Mauer, mm-hmm. James Loney, and some of those guys. Napoli probably is, and I would take him over Laroche because you know one thing that people talk about uh, forget to talk about is that I'm pretty sure that DHing is a skill. Oh, and, I, I agree. It's like pinch hitting. I mean, Lenny Harris had a skill, and that I think that's his name, right? The guy yeah, who had absolutely the guy who played like, forever as a as a pinch hitter and yeah, was like a so, utility guy, so he could come in as like a pinch hitter, double switch, and and kind of at least stand anywhere. I think I think he had a lot of positions <laughs> as well. Probably wasn't great at any of them. Um, but what's funny on Baseball References is his top position listed is pinch hitter, and that's just, <laughs> that's funny to me. I, I like that, but. Uh, so, you know, I think DHing is a skill, and I think that's a little bit of what the uh, A's were paying for with Billy Butler is, is instead of just rotating guys in, you know, I, I, we looked at Brandon Moss's numbers, and they were best in the outfield, second best at, fir- or best at first base, second best in the outfield, and 
third best um, at DH, and that follows a lot of what goes on. And, and Moss told me it's because I'm engaged. I'm in. If I'm at first base, I'm in every play. And we've heard that from a lot of guys, and so it's it's probably not BS. It doesn't. It's obviously not universal because some guys do thrive as DH, but for a lot of folks, they they want to stay engaged and and you know kind of forget they're bad at bats by playing some 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 field. So I I, I can that makes sense. And we're talking about a 35 year old Adam LaRoche that you know at times has hit he's hit 230 with 20 homers in 2013. So that's you know, a floor that exists out there right now. And that doesn't even include the risk that might be inherent, um, with being, uh, with being the, the DH. And so he costs way more. His, his average draft positions of 146 to that 258 for Napoli. So that's a, that's a great point there. You're, you're not saying that you would take Napoli necessarily when LaRoche is being picked, but bypass LaRoche, wait several rounds and then scoop Napoli. Uh, I couldn't agree more to be honest. Yeah, and especially since, you know, LaRoche is being taken close to Moss, and I prefer Moss much better. I love Moss, and, uh, by the way. We're, the only reason he didn't get brought up, because I, I would definitely want to speak about him, I'm, we're going to talk about him and the outfielders. So uh, just yeah. for anyone that's wondering why he didn't get mentioned, I think he's – I'm fine if you put him in that, – that's one of those guys where if you do put him at first base, I'm okay with it. Usually I want the guy to go in the better position. But when it's outfield first base, I, I, I can be a little bit more lenient on that. But we're going to talk about him at outfield for sure. All right, Eno, that's going to wrap us up for our first base preview. Um, what have you got coming up? I, I know you're finally home trying to, trying to recuperate, but do you have any pieces in the works from the, uh, from the stuff you got while in Arizona? Well, I've um, already done one on the baby back. So I had uh, Ruby De La Rosa and Alan Webster and Chase Anderson and Archie Bradley in one piece that I did for, for Fox. And then I uh, did a piece on Joey Votto and Jay Bruce and their back legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Bryant and being tall, that just went up. So I've got another piece on Chris Bryant and his hips uh, coming out. He said a very interesting thing about his hips and how they work. Uh, uh, by the way, um, man, I just lost my train of thought. Never mind. Go ahead. I, was, I think I was going to compliment something about the Votto piece, but I, I, I liked it. Go ahead. Continue. The, uh, so I've got that Chris Bryant. I've also got uh, did an interview with Disclafani. And then uh, the crown jewel coming out of spring break. I did grips with Jake Arrieta, Ooh. and he, it's it's the grips are are, are fairly relevant to his success. But um, he was amazing. Like he was really good. He was really good. He just he gave me a lot of things to think about, and it was really interesting uh, the things he had to say about why he broke out, and they weren't. Um, going to be very easily quantifiable. So I'm not sure that'll probably be next week, but, uh, Jake be awesome. We, we will definitely discuss that on, on the pod once it's up, but until then we will talk in a few days next Tuesday. I think we'll be covering, I guess it's going to leave us short stops because Jason and I will do second baseman over the weekend. And then you and I will come back with, with short stops. So get your Troy Tulowitzki thinking cap on and we'll be back in a, in a few days, you know? All right. Thanks for listening. Thank you.